Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. The following episode is brought to you by SRO Motorsports America and their partners at AWS, CrowdStrike, Fanatec, Pirelli, and the Skip Barber Racing School. Be sure to follow all the racing action by visiting www.sro-motorsports.com or take a shortcut to gtamerica.us. And be sure to follow them on social at GT underscore America on Twitter and Instagram at SRO GT America on Facebook and catch live coverage of the races on their YouTube channel at GT World. Walking through the paddock at any motorsports event affords you the ability to see a lot of really cool things. Everything is designed to capture your attention and draw your eyes and ears to it. From the fast-looking cars with their colorful liveries and ear-pleasing exhaust notes to the giant flags denoting the team garages. But this weekend, one logo really stands out among the crowd, and that's the giant red rooster emblazoned on the BMW M4 of Rooster Hall Racing. That's right, Brad. Rooster Hall Racing traces its roots to 2002 with the purchase of a highly modified E30 M3. And today, the team campaigns cars in both BMW CCA Club Racing and SRO America. Team owner Todd Brown and lead driver Johan Schwartz join us live to talk about supporting cars in both series, the history of Rooster Hall Racing, and some great paddock stories. So let's jump back into our session at VIR. So welcome to Break Fix, Johan and Todd. Thank you. Thank you. So like all good Break Fix stories, we want to start out with the origin. So how did you guys get started in motorsports? Well, I'll, I, I, I guess I can go first. My, uh, my love for motorsports has been, I, I remember when I was like five or six years old and I could name all the cars and I kind of felt bad for when somebody was high revving their engine because, you know, to me they had soul, right? So why would you mistreat somebody? Uh, a car like that and then I, I started really getting into the motorsports end of it and, and being from Denmark it was rallying rally sprints close course yeah the Ewer Konkonens and the Steve Blomqvist and all those guys they were just uh, finishing off their careers but that's kind of when I started catching up watching then I started racing um, on a local dirt uh, road course which was known as rally sprint but with chump or champ like cars you know very low but for everybody to go out there and, and race, there was a claimer rule. And then uh, it just went from there into Formula Ford. And then I started actually racing go-karts for seat time. So I, I went into the cars first before I went to the go-karts because my parents didn't really know anything about motorsports. So they had no idea where to support me and how to get me involved in it. So it was all driven by myself. And then I just drove whatever I could. Came to the States in the early 90s. Back in Denmark, I'd seen a little lap timing system when I was racing in Formula Fords that would give an instant onboard lap time. Come to find out it was a Danish product, brought it here to the States and uh, had a, a, a contact that had good contact with Hendrick Motorsports. I installed it in Ricky Rudd's and Kenny Schrader's car. So all of a sudden I opened my eyes up to NASCAR and like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> I'd come to find out I had the wrong accent for that one, especially back then. But I had a blast, got to know a lot of people slowly kind of got myself into the road racing part here in the states raced a lot of scca and nasa then it grew from there got together with some people doing some uh, longer endurance races and then started racing sro in uh, 2013 basically in sro there's been a few years i was in transition from one class to another and then been there in a sense and raced a little bit of imsa too and races a lot of uh endurance races and also race for a team out of Florida for the uh, SCCA runoffs. We're trying to qualify for that. So I try to still race as much as I can. And I believe till this point here this year, there's four weekends I've been off. All the other weekends I've been on a racetrack. So I enjoyed a lot with the support of my family, right? I got you want to mention a championship or two? Oh yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, with Rooster Hall, I, I was gonna let you do that, uh, talking about the history of Rooster Hall, right? Then we got together in 2018, mm -hmm. started campaigning at 240, one of the uh, factory belt race cars in the TC class. 
placed third in the championship there. Won, First year, right? Yeah, won uh, three or four races. And then in 2019, again with West Virginia on the car, one of the most beautiful paid schemes I've seen out there. I loved it. And uh, we won, I think, uh, nine out of 14 races, mm -hmm. something like that, and championship. And we got second in the um, standings amongst uh, the rating of all BMW drivers in the world. And Rooster Hall as a team, I believe, got three. third. So we won the championship in 19, and I'd won a previous uh, championship in 2015 in touring car as well. That's kind of my racing background. It's been my blood, and my mom is here from Denmark watching this weekend. And she still doesn't understand what's going on <laughs> and how this thing happens and, you know, what are all those buttons for on the steering wheels and, you know, all that. So it's fun to explain that to her. She's just watching it in awe, but it's a lot of fun to have her. My uh, sister is here from Spain as well. So we have a whole family get together. My two kids are here watching as well. That's great. Yeah. And I, I, hearing your origin story, what we're going to talk about later makes a lot of sense. You know, when we talk about your, your longest drift, if you've got rally, uh, rally sprint and rally X experience and you're... He, he forgot to mention together. the ice racing. Oh, yeah. I oh, did, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Who hasn't? I did. I, <laughs> we, I, I was born and raised on a farm, so that's also how I kept practice. Bought old beat-up cars mm -hmm. on the harvested fields in the summer, set up a rally course, obviously, and my friend and I were timing each other, had a little in competition, and then when the winter came in, the little two-acre pond that we had, we did the same thing, put a studded tires in the front, ball tires in the back, and we had a blast oversteering <laughs> the whole time with a front-wheel drive car. So that's a great segue to Todd to talk about his motorsports background and the creation of Rooster Hall Racing, its history, you know, what's in the name, like the significance of Rooster Hall. So mine goes back to age five or six as well. I was born in 62, and I woke up to cars in 1968. I can tell you, when I moved from Cincinnati, Ohio, where I grew up, to Virginia, where I spent the rest of my life, I could tell you every car on my street, even today, and what year it was. I had every Hot Wheels car made from 1968 to 1970. My parents knew that I was just this car nut. Car, 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 car. So in 1971, my mother... She takes me to see this movie called Le Mans with Steve McQueen. Oh, this would be great for Todd. I think it was rated R, maybe. She takes me to the movie. We walk out of that, and all I want to do is race cars. You know, at this point, I'm eight or nine years old. The last thing my mother ever wanted her son to do was race cars because in the movie, they all crash and burn up. My mother did not see me race until I was 53 years old. Oh, man. And the only reason she came out is because my son was in the same race. Move forward many years. It was I was 32 years old. I started going to the track at Summit Point. They called Friday at the track. And I went there for five years, and I became an instructor for eight. And during that whole time, I was racing go-karts like Johan here. And then I made the decision to make the plunge into BMW club racing. And I've been doing that now for 18 years, I guess, formally. Won a couple of national championships there, although my son is still faster than I am. That's how we, you want it to be, right? Exactly, but that's not the way it always... And in the meantime, talked about this a little bit off uh, microphone, but my son Sean has won twice the world championship in soapbox derby racing, which is a lot more car control than you would ever think because you follow the crown of the road and you follow the cones an inch off the cones the entire way down the track. And the world championships are a little different, and there's crosswinds and all kind of things. But that was really neat. ESPN uh, had a documentary on us through that. I guess this was about seven, eight, nine years ago. I was looking for a place where I could maybe expand my car collection because we had kind of grown out of our garage. I had five cars in a three-car garage. I was at a restaurant, saw this free real estate publication, and this shop was for sale. 40 minutes from my house, but 15 minutes from my wife's parents' house. I said, hmm. And it was just weird enough that no one would buy it except for me, maybe. It was a 5,000 square foot garage with a 1,200 square foot nice apartment on it. That's every guy's dream right there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so this guy built this. He was a single guy. His girlfriend lived next door in the property next door who happened to be a realtor. And he built this for his car collection and for his RV. Unfortunately, he got cancer and died. And so we bought it from the estate from his girlfriend, the realtor. And she said, well, the name of the place is Rooster Hall. You can keep it, you can do whatever you want, 
just wanted to let you know that. And I said, you know what, we'll keep that name. Tip of the cap to him. Three years later, or seven years ago, decided to start a, a real race team. We said, here we go. And you know, what are we gonna name the team? And sorry for all the guys that name it after themselves. I wasn't into that. Didn't want Todd Brown Racing or TBR or whatever it might be. One of the guys on my team said, why don't you call it Rooster Hall Racing? I said, you know, that's just wacky enough. That's cool enough. We'll make it around the rooster. You know, we got the biggest rooster in the paddock, that's for darn sure. And on the side of our tractor trailer here. PG version of that. The PG, yeah. that's correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. And, and Listeners, you can put that together yourself. <laughs> yes. That's the basic story and how Rooster Hall got started and how our racing deal got started. I was the owner of the team before um, Johan came aboard. We had Anthony Magnoli as a driver. And Anthony, we won crew of the year that year. The next year with Johan, we won rookie of the year. No, nope, that was Anthony. That was Anthony. Anthony won rookie of the year. Yeah. Then we won crew of the year the first year with, with Johan. Sorry about that. Yeah. And then we won the championship. And then this year, I'm going to turn 60 years old this year. And I said, you know, I don't have a whole lot of years left of high-quality driving. Let's do it, Johan. Let's go to Sprint X. Went out and bought a GT4, M4 GT4. Ended up buying yet another. I had an M2 CSR. Bought another one of another one of those when Colin Garrett's family and Colin came to me. I know his father, known his father for 35 years. And he's an up-and-coming NASCAR driver. And they said, we're looking for him to get more road course stuff. Good marriage. And we're sitting here right after Colin's win here at VIR. Congratulations yeah. to Colin, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Great race. He's a consummate professional, and he could really go places. He's only 21. Yeah, he's fast. He's, he's got pole. And, and he listens. Yeah. He listens to VJ Merzeron, his coach, and to Johan, his, his coach here. He really absorbs everything they say, and that's a true student. So you guys are campaigning two cars, an M2 and TCX, which is now currently, if you'll, as we talked to Jim Jordan in a previous episode, is comprised mostly of BMWs. Hoping right, to right, change that right now it's all BMWs. Right. Yeah. right. He always puts an asterisk there. Yes, right? he does. It's going to change in the future. Yeah. So we're going to see how that goes. So we won't talk about futures. And the second car is in Sprint X, where both of you switch off and drive the car in a 60-minute race. Is that all right? GT4 cars. Yeah, yeah, all GT4. Which I believe they have 40 of this weekend. Yeah, 40. It's a big field. So Very popular class. So, for example, this evening, 4.05 p.m., I will drive the first half, hand it over to Johan. Tomorrow, he will drive the first half and hand it over to me. Well, we're looking forward to seeing how that race turns out. Yeah. If you're driving the first half, are other teams, I'm assuming it's split up with, well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but is it a pro-am kind of series? That's, this is interesting. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'll, I'll start it. He can finish it. We're am-am okay. because of our age. Okay. Okay? At a certain age... I don't know, it's 50 or 55. What is it? 50. 50. You get knocked down. One rating. One rating. If you're a silver pro, when you pass 50, you're going to become a bronze. If you're a gold or platinum, you get knocked down. One. Just because your reflexes, they say, aren't as quick as they once were. And it's probably true. My son's, again, is probably quicker than mine. We can benefit from that in the AM side because he was a pro, but technically is technically is not now because we're both bronze drivers so we'll be competing in the am then there's the pro-am championship right where there is a silver rated or higher mm -hmm. together with a bronze rated that's the pro and then the silver class which is both silver drivers so so there's in a sense three races within that race all racing gt4 cars but also having their own little internal battles in there our listeners are about to find out that, Johan, you have two records under your belt that we know of. Yeah. Um, well, let's start with the, probably the most famous one, which is your longest drift record. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. We looked it up. It was 8 hours, 232.5 miles. Correct. Tell us about that. What led to you wanting to do that other than just being a drifter in your, in your entire experience? Tell us about the refueling. How did that go? We saw the videos. We saw, from our perspective, it looked kind of interesting, but... How yeah. was it from your perspective? The start of it was, uh, I used to teach down at the BMW school down in Spartanburg, right next to the BMW factory. I was leading a class. During lunch, somebody asked me, 
because we go to the skid pad and learn skid control and if people are good at that we also let them drift you know see how they can keep the car sideways so as instructors we demonstrate that and then we go out of the drift and then it's the students turn so during lunch this guy and I wish I knew who it was I remember who it was because he's the one that started all this <laughs> really he deserves a lot of credit so um, he asked me how long do you think I could go without spinning out in a drift I was like, well, I, I don't know. I've never tried. And then I went home that night to look at Guinness and uh, see if there was a record for the longest drift. And there was. And I'm like, and I had sent an email to Guinness about the rules for that, you know, what parameters we had. And it said nothing about that the skid pad could be wet. Mm. You know, so I didn't want to ask them, can the skid pad be wet? Will it still count? I read between the lines. I submitted for it. And that was in 2013. So I did that basically on my own using the facility there in the F10 BMW FM M5 back then. And uh, no refueling, just filled it up. And then we uh, had a sponsor. I put sponsorships together that all went to charity, the BMW charity, in conjunction with a golf tournament down there. And then the M school that's down there. So I tried to create that triangle of partners that were involved and went 51 miles and the internet blew up. We made our own little video about it. It got over a million views. I remember coming out of the movie theater after the event and we went in to check how many views there was and it went up by 100,000 by every 10, 15 minutes because Yahoo Sports at the time had taken it in and other, and BMW actually took notice to that. All the attention, it was great, it was fun to do, didn't think I was gonna do it again. Then the new M5 comes out, which now is an all-wheel drive car. And the purest M owner, M enthusiast, an M car can only be rear wheel drive. So then BMW corporate now took the opportunity to say, well, if you turn this knob in the car, you can go from all wheel drive to two wheel drive. And if you want to, you can drift it for a long time. So Guinness now, because of this wet record that I set back then, they now established, okay, we have a dry record and we have a wet record. You have a window of eight hours to see how long you can drift. And basically, the clock starts and then it stops. And then you can stop and change tires or fuel and eat lunch, whatever you wanna do. But we wanted to make it continuous, just like the first record. And to make it viral, in order for us to continue drifting for eight hours or six hours, whatever, we had to refuel. We had to basically refuel every hour and a half, every 45, uh, hour, 45 minutes. And so that was the viral component of it. So I go out, obviously put it in two-wheel drive, start, and BMW's goal was to beat the old record. Now Toyota had it, you know, so there was back and forth, fun rivalry, and they just wanted to beat it and say, okay. But I was, I was internally set on, prepared myself physically with all the right things to be in a car for eight hours, but not dehydrate myself. You get the idea. Physically there. or in the car. Right? Correct. I go out and I start drifting and we had two tanks in the car, the main tank which BMW comes with and then the tank on top of it which was the one we were going to refuel into and then pump from that tank into the main tank. So in order for us not to have anything happen with the refuel in the beginning, we wanted to beat the record. We had now three hours worth of fuel and that would allow us now to go for the 100 miles. I go there and it gets it gets a little monotonous at the time. Still have to throttle and steer all the time, but you know, I mean the concentration level. So I actually had my phone hooked up to Bluetooth and uh, made some phone calls. Some of the BMW folks that were involved, right? And it was so funny to hear them pick up the phone. Johan? Like they're like, aren't you supposed to be drifting right now? <laughs> so, uh, and I called the people that were involved in the previous event as sponsors because, you know, they kind of started all this and helped it, thank them for that. So, and then after the three hours, then that's when the excitement obviously started, you know, because during that time up till the event, we had connected with a guy hanging out the window in the old F10, right? There's now a guy, his name was Matt Butts, and a guy called Matt Mons was driving that fuel car hanging out the window to connect you have to turn it half a turn to lock it in then the fuel pump has to go on to transfer the fuel into the uh, to my accelerator tank and then have to disconnect but we come to find out in our practice that 
when I am doing that to connect, I have to left foot brake and I have to then increase the RPMs to keep the angle that makes the engine because there's no air coming in, right? So it's very hard on the whole drivetrain and engine. I had to look at, keep my eye on the oil temp and I knew when it was gonna go into limp mode. If that thing goes into limp mode being connected, it's like taking your foot off the gas and it was gonna straighten up and met butts that's hanging there. Yeah, you know, I mean, crushed, he, yeah. he had, I don't know what waiver he signed or <laughs> what attorney signed off on this project back then and BMW said, yeah, go ahead and do that. It's not dangerous at all. So he was certainly the guy that was gonna be the meat and sandwich, right? So I had the authority to override whenever there was enough fuel in the car and we had to disconnect. We did that five times throughout the process where two times we were just about to connect and we were starting to increase the temperature. I figured we could only stay connected for maybe 10 seconds. It was not worth the risk. So then we would, in a sense, not hook up and I would kind of increase my speed again to cool down the engine to go for another refuel. And then at one point, I would say maybe six hours in and the guy from Guinness, you know, he's there counting laps, you know, he's like, this is not, you know, I'm used to poor, counting. Poor guy. Counting Eight hot dogs, right? In five minutes or something yeah. like that, or watermelons. Yeah. And, and so he's like, okay. So I get the radio call from the BMW person and said, you know, you can stop now if you want. We got the record. I said, you know what? I'm out here for all eight hours. Sorry. <laughs> you know, because we don't know if this is going to be another opportunity. So I want to put the task to somebody to go out and beat it. So we stayed for eight hours, did the record, and it also blew up. And now corporate obviously took it in and, and really made a big deal out of it. I went to a dealership not too long ago, and they're still playing the same video you probably watched yeah. in the dealership. And everybody that gets recruited into BMW on the mechanical side, when they go into training and come in the first time, they show that video to, for them to get excited about the brand. So it's kind of neat to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And again, it was started by that guy that raised his hand in that class and said, how, how long do you think you could drift for? So. Yeah, and according to the video, you didn't just beat the record, you yeah. annihilated it. We did, <laughs> yeah, we did, and that was my goal. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of folks know us through that. They know Rooster Hall because of Johan. question I get is, Johan, how in the world did you have to go to the bathroom? I know. <laughs> yeah. You and, get that. And I, I do, I get that all the time. That is, you know, that's the one that's on top of mind of everybody. Right, and uh, so they're little, you know, when they raise their hand, and I just say, just like the astronauts do it, and then they can look it up on the internet how the <laughs> astronauts do it, and that's how I did it, and I did that all on my own because my goal was to be out there for eight hours. And he's eating, eating cookies and crackers. Yeah, well, yeah. I wasn't, so my diet was obviously water to stay hydrated, and then I was eating what uh, the bicyclist you know yeah, that yeah, does yeah, uh, the tour de france yeah so it was not a non-solid diet because the yeah, other right. one i wasn't equipped for <laughs> <laughs> but you have another record under your belt and we talked about this on a previous drive-through news episode and it's very fortunate that we're here talking to you at vir today because you hold the record for the fastest lap in an EV in the Tesla Plaid. Mm -hmm. And we actually, again, we talked about this on a previous episode, and this was to take away the record from Porsche in the Taycan. We found out that you were the driver of that vehicle, and we want to talk to you about that experience. What sure. you think about driving the EVs, you know, the evolution, as we call it, or the EV revolution, the future of racing with EVs, stuff like that. So let's get your take on that hot lap here at VIR. That was a super exciting project. Carmine, which is um, the guy that had the car and he's got a shop here in North Carolina. Him and I got to be friends when I was doing some shock development for Olin's for their club racing. And we met each other, he had the BMW. I was test driving for Olin's and then we just stayed connected. Next thing you know, they put on the event here to, for, to set the, the record. And that was for the grand course. Yeah. So that is kind of like the, the Norschleife, right? Uh, for, for the US car and driver is the one that comes in and does it all the time. So our goal was to go in and, and beat the Porsche record that had carbon brakes, right? That had really cool suspension. I believe they have a two-speed uh, transmission as well, so they can really work in the right torque range. And it was kind of a last minute deal. We didn't really have any, we had 300 treadwear tires, so not nothing. Not even 200. Not even 200. I, you did modify the brakes on the car though, right? They, yeah. The pads. Okay. No, no. Oh, the calipers they, too? They, uh, not the calipers. 
But the rotors. Rotors. Okay. And, but that does come on Tesla. Does offer a uh, carbon uh, option. But other than that, the vehicle was stock. Completely stock. Yeah, completely stock. Really, the only electrical vehicle I had driven was somebody I had instructed that got a Tesla, the non-plaid. This is maybe five years ago. He's like, I want you to drive it. I want you to feel the acceleration. And I remember I punched that. He put it in ludicrous mode. I punched it, and I really, I was like, was taken back. The acceleration was amazing. Have right? you all been in a ludicrous? Yeah, version? I have not. No. It, yeah, is, it is life changing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like being in a top shield dragster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if you don't put your head back, it'll put it back for oh, you. Oh, it'll put it back. Right. I'm like kind of excited about it, but also a little bit nervous. Am I gonna get that sensation out here at the track, especially with a thousand horsepower on this plaid? Go out and run it, kind of, you know, 5,000 pounds. I can feel it's heavy. The brakes are working pretty good, but I am also feeling the pedal getting a little long because they're generating some serious heat. And this is a dual motor Tesla, right? So four wheel drive, basically. Yeah, I believe that has actually three motors. It has one for the front axle and two in the rear, one for each rear tire. Acting as a diff, basically. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, when I heard a thousand horsepower, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, that's, a, that's a drag racer that sits there and lopes on the cam, right? Yeah. That has that kind of horsepower. Go out, kind of get used to it. I mean, I was amazed, 5,000 pounds. You know, it did very well. I got on the curbs. Suspension absorbed that very well, too. You know, kind of known, trying to see what ideal line. Again, our goal was to beat the record. Kind of get an idea about fuel consumption, reading the display for when I have the power and when I'm overheating the battery. The conclusion was I basically had one lap with full power. And then it starts going into where the battery heats up and all that. I still have amazing speed, but I will not be able to go faster. So it's everything you got on one lap. And then we had laid out logistically to go and charge the batteries in uh, South Boston. There's a supercharger there. So in between sessions, we boogied in there, sat there, you know, 40 minutes, charged the thing up, got back again, set ourselves up, you know, a slow lap out, get some heat in the tires, and then one hot lap, and then cool it down, and then back to the... So I basically had a total of five laps throughout that day. Long day for five laps. Long day, but it was fun, right? The whole logistics. Yeah. The whole logistical component of it, of going to South Boston, being back in time when we were up again and all that, was really fun. And if you see the video, I think it's turn nine. No, it's up through the S's. Up to the S's? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He gets sideways, and his steering wheel's almost at full lock, and he comes back, and this car doesn't have any arrow. Well, yeah. and that's the funny part about when we reviewed the article when it came out and everything, my uh, my sister, who's one of the other hosts on the drive-thru, she goes, did you see the part of the video where he almost bins it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And so the cool thing about this whole thing is the lap before I, I did the faster lap, I'd already beaten the record. So I had that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to send it up through the S's it, yeah. and see what happens. And I obviously send it a little too hard. And I'm remembering when I got locked to one side, I'm like, I'm not sure how this is, could be interesting. This could either go really viral or I'm going to try to obviously keep it on track. And then it goes the other, you know, basically yeah. creates a tank slapper, right? So when we look at the data from the other lap, I did lose about six or seven tens by that. But then I gained up elsewhere because I was still like determined when I caught it. I'm like, I still got it. Let's see what we got and then beat it on a little bit further on that lap. So that's why that lap made it right. And obviously the whole exciting part that everybody has been emailing and texting me about is when I'm sideways through the S's and I'm like, did you see I still hit my apexes even though I was sideways? <laughs> it comes from drifting the BMW. Yeah. yeah. So that said, I've also coached some uh, HPD folks with Teslas. I've driven one as well. I came away from the car going, it handles like a 911. That's what I kept thinking. So I'm wondering if your impression was the same and what your thoughts are of the handling of the Teslas. And do they have a future in, let's say, even amateur motorsports? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, a lot of manufacturers, I mean, I think the statement, the big statement is the GM, right? What's the, you know, in two or three years, their goal is to be all electrical. So the commitment is obviously there from the manufacturers. As a purist, fortunate enough to drive that 944 that I drive in SCCA in the STU class, and you know it sits there and idles and lopes in the cam and doesn't get to life before 6,000 rpms right so 
I think those days are slowly going away where the electrical is going to take over and you see it in Europe they now have the TC cars that are basically all there with electrical motors and going extremely fast fast. Formula E. Formula E you know it will take maybe some time you see the the two person drive you know where I think Hamilton owns a team and you know they race out in the desert right? Dakar right? Yeah it's yeah. yeah. No it's not Dakar it's it's a it's an EV off-road series yeah oh i'm thinking about yeah. the audi dakar right Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. right yeah yeah but i think that they also had an electrical vehicle that raced in dakar right mm-hmm. so it's interesting that the ones that made the uh, the name for the diesels right which was audi vw and then they got a little trouble and then they immediately went to the ev route yeah, right a little bit of trouble yeah right. a little bit of trouble. as a matter of fact there's a great story behind that yeah. when, when you guys have a chance mm-hmm. so our car was sponsored by West Virginia University for two years. Dr. Scott Wayne is the head of the Formula SAE department. Each year two students would come on to our team and be integrated and we'd find them jobs in motorsports. Integrated for the team throughout the season. Yeah and it was a great program. It was awesome. Well he was the one that found it out. Yeah. And I got the whole story directly from him. Yeah, that's where Dieselgate starts. Huh? That's, that's where, where it that's started. Where it started. I, he started to prove how good clean diesel was, and it kind of backfired. Anyway, yeah, it's a, a story, story for another episode. That's it right. is. A, it's certainly a story, and maybe he even wants to tell about this. Story. So let's let's but, touch on one thing, Johan. So the biggest drawback to the EVs right now is probably the weight, right? Weight and range. I mean, and range. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing I hear from a lot of people, to your kind of underlying point about your 944, etc., is there's no sound. Yeah. Like you don't get that loping. You don't get that acceleration, that buildup. It's just power and plateau, right? That's the the kind of the EV way right now. Are you sold yet? I mean, uh, you know, I, I would, and I've been thinking about this, especially. So I go to Denmark once a year and race in the streets of Copenhagen, and they had the electrical touring cars over there. And I'm like, if there ever is an opportunity where that comes over here, I will try to see if I can't get to drive one of those cars and be involved in that series because I think there's such a push from the manufacturers to go that route that you would have big support for that. You may have the hybrid version of racing, which is in a lot of forms now. I mean, Formula One is in many respects hybrid. You look at Le Mans too, WEC, yes. right? Yeah. <coughs> so, right. you know, I'm so that it's, we'll, we'll go that route likely first before yeah. we'll go all EV because you don't want to see a car lightning fast at the beginning of the race and substantially slower at the end. So and then you get into that, the conversation yeah. of balance of power too, right? How do you yeah. put that Taycan against a Corvette, right? It just, it doesn't yeah. work right yeah. now. Yeah. It doesn't. And what's interesting is, what I was impressed, I mean, the little whining and all that kind of was, it was pretty cool to be inside that whining and just hear in the air. But then I, uh, somebody took a video of the car coming by on the outside, and all you hear is that wind moving. And I thought that was actually a pretty cool sound because you don't normally hear that because it's overwhelmed yeah, by the, the engine. Be- at, the, at the beginning of that video, yeah. he comes by, all you hear is this whoosh. It looks like the car's in fast motion, like they yeah. sped up the film, but they didn't. Yeah, it's that blasted fast. We were going, um, I think, 155 or something like going into turn two, uh, turn one, right? <laughs> wow, they can fly. And then to that point, I think Tesla tried to start an electric series, or they were looking for drivers a couple of years ago to start an electric series. I don't know if anything ever happened with that. But I know Jaguar made like a really sharp-looking SUV mm-hmm. that they were going to race as the a support I-Pace, series yeah. in conjunction with Formula E. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how that was perceived or not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But moving on a little bit, you guys earlier joked that you have a combined experience of 114 years racing uh, between the two of you. So no, you, no, 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 no. 114 years of, of life. Of life. Yeah. Oh, of, of age. Of racing. 114 years of age between the right, two Right, right, right. So outside of Andy. Todd is 85. Todd is 85. So we think, we're not sure, but just kind of putting two and two together we think we may have that label here at the track is so like yet another record <laughs> yes right the oldest two drivers combined the oldest uh, in SRO, SRO yeah. in the United States right yeah. so let's talk about SRO and your experiences here just uh, what drew you to, to race with SRO why should more people look to join the SRO series first of all it's sprint racing and that's what the SR stands for no, no. <laughs> that, that, that's, it's Stefan Rattel well, first of all, that's where I cut my teeth, without question, in BMW club racing. We've had hour and a half races, but they're normally 
25 to 40 minutes. Let me tell you, that's enough to wear you out. Okay, But I believe, from a fan's point of view, it's much better to watch a 40-minute race or maybe an hour as opposed to a four-hour race. You lose your um, attention a bit. I know I'm a giant motor motorsports fan. I'm famous for falling asleep in the middle of a NASCAR race and waking up either right before or right after it ended. I think the sprint side of things is very attractive to me and to the watching audience or listening audience, perhaps. You know, also because you know there are two professional sports car series in the in the U.S. Right there is SRO and there's IMSA, and if you want to go into pro racing, there is one of those two to pick from. And SRO is catering a little more to make it, you know, if you can call it more cost-effective. There is obviously no such thing as cheap racing, right? But it is a little more cost-effective than to run IMSA because of there's no fuel stops. But they still have the component of the endurance, but making a, a shorter race. So that's why Todd and I are racing on a team together. We are two-driver team, but we don't have to have all the fuel rigs, the manpower to fuel, the manpower to change tires and all that. So the cost is obviously not there, but the excitement of being two drivers in a car is there, playing at a, in a field where all the cars, is, by definition, should be equal. Right? That's what makes it appealing. You know, it's hard to find that anywhere else. So if you want to go longer races, then MSO obviously yeah, would And be when we started it, we started in touring car. Yeah. In TC and the uh, BMW M235, which became the M240. IR, R stands for Racing Factory Race Car. There was a place for that here. And there wasn't a place for it many other places. And that I thought that was the best car for the money in the <laughs> world. Because... You know, my club race car, I've got a lot more money in that than I would have in the TC car, and it's a 20-year-old car. You pile money into these things. That's what that's for. And then also the professional component, which the coverage of it, so that obviously uh, gave us some leverage and the exposure for West Virginia and exposing the team to the pro side because, you know, you go here and look in the paddock, right? I mean, people are up on scales, the wheels are off, you see the string on there. So it, it really becomes competitive, not just on the track, but also in the garage, right? And when we got that competitive DNA in us, Hey, can we play at this field and let's see how... I don't like to lose it, putt-putt. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? That's exactly... And, and to your point, I know jokingly around the paddock, IMSA is referred to as, in air quotes, the other series. Sure. But, you know, there's a lot of fanfare and a lot of pomp and circumstance when you go over there. And it's, you know, they draw huge crowds. A lot of it's mm -hmm. backed by, let's say, NASCAR and other places. It's owned on, by NASCAR. Yeah, based yeah. on the tracks they go to, etc. But you come here and you, you quickly remember what racing is all about, mm -hmm. right? It's a little bit more grassroots, but not grassroots. Right, exactly. It's a beautiful blend of the two. And, and it's enjoyable to watch you guys out there running together. The multi-class racing, for me, is fantastic. I've always enjoyed That's what draws me to WEC and IMSA mm -hmm. and everything. So, again, and I'm a big IMSA fan. Yeah. yeah. I am. And, you know, I was I was going to run this next January in an LMP3 car. <clears throat> I was given great advice. Todd, if you're going to do this, stop your sports car racing six months before and just do the LMP3. Because the downforce cars, it, it's a completely different mindset. To relearn, yeah. The faster you go, the more stick you have. And I did two test sessions with the LMP3. I spun five times here and at Road Atlanta when I was going around slow turns. Because you think it would have stick, and it doesn't. Now it's mechanical grip. Yeah. You know, now it's back to where it was with a, with a normal car, whereas in the fast corners, now you have the aero grip. So it's that transition yeah. back and forth. So we, we decided to do this, and we may, we're talking about it, we may do the, the series just the day before the 24, down there at Daytona next year with the car that we have here. Yeah, with the Michelin Tire Challenge. Is yeah. that the roar before the 24? No, it's the Michelin Tire Challenge. Oh, yeah. yeah. And actually, yeah. I think that's a great segue into talking about the future of Rooster Hall Racing. So what does the next couple of years look like for you guys? That's a great question. Uh, I just retired from my real job, if you will. I owned an investment firm for a number of years. And Todd was very good at it, so he could retire early. Yeah. Well, yeah. At 85 years old. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's only when we do that math. So it's, it is an expensive sport. At a certain point, you've got to treat it as a business. 
and if you can't make money or not lose a lot, you might have to hang it up. There's a whole lot of teams that have come and gone. But we had to take a year off during COVID because <clears throat> we didn't have sponsorship. Now we got sponsorship with Colin and his team and some stuff that we've got because, I mean, it cost, and I'll, I'll say it pretty openly, it cost about a quarter of a million dollars to run that TC car a year. I've done pretty well in life, but I just can't afford to spend a quarter of a million dollars every year on letting somebody else drive my car. And it's about that same amount in my car. There's a half a million dollars. These teams that have these GT3 cars, there's some deep pockets somewhere. Because, you know, there's a million dollars a pop, a car, or more in some cases. So this is a very expensive sport, and it's got to be treated as a business. And I think my goal is to do this until I'm 70 for 10 more years. And then we'll see where it goes from there. You have to have goals in life. And that's what drives me. You know, again, I'm 60 in a few months, starting my professional racing career now. Holy crap. That's, that's late in life. Now, I've had a personal trainer for 12 years just for racing. She comes to my house. I have a gym in my home. She comes to my house. And I used to go to Gold's Gym. When I retired, I put a gym in my house. <laughs> and she works my tail off. Now, could I eat a little bit better? We all could, but I'm in pretty darn good shape for my age. You have to, to stay up with these 20-some-year-olds. Again, our reflexes get a little slower, our muscle reaction gets a little slower. I wanna race for at least five more years, and I wouldn't mind 10 years, and then we'll see where it goes from there. We had three cars, by the way, in 2019, and then one of our drivers had a very bad accident in a club race and had to uh, retire from racing, so we went down to two. We now have two. I see us with three cars in the future, maybe four. But I will tell you, at a certain level, it's managing people. Mm -hmm. And you're not racing anymore. You're managing people. And you got to make a decision. Do you want to be a manager of people or do you want to go race? There's that balance there too. And how much money do, am I willing to put into the business out of my pocket that sponsorship may not cover? That's a tough one. It is on that side of things you know with with Todd with four cars when we were three cars Todd wasn't racing I was driving for Todd in the TC so Todd I was, was, I was here just, managing was, people yep. now Todd obviously wants to race right and you can't be thinking about managing people when you're out there driving if, if, Todd needs to have fun right otherwise it's not fun so, so, so think about this we've got 30 or 40 people out here because Colin Garrett our TC driver TCX driver lives 15 minutes away He's backed by this military community, and he's all involved with that. And there's a bunch of military-owned companies that are here, represented by several people. So you have 30, 40 people out there. So you're running a team, you're entertaining, you're trying to get enough liquids in you, and you're driving. And one person can only do but so much. My wife, and this is very important, my wife couldn't make it this weekend. She had some health issues she's dealing with. She technically owns the team. And without her, there's no way I could do it without Michelle. She's integral. And I will tell you, there's no big secret that Karen, Johan's wife, is a big secret to his success. Yeah. That woman behind a man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, my wife is one of the few that come to the track every race. Club race, pro race, whatever. When she's not there, everybody says, where's Michelle? So I count my blessings. I'm incredibly blessed to have a wife that not only accepts what I do but helps be part of this and she owns Rooster Hall Racing. Johan, any records in your future that you want to break? It's funny you should ask because uh, somebody contacted me about combining my drifting and the EV side of things you know because that's also held by a Porsche so uh, it would be fun to do so uh, we are working a little bit on doing that and finding the facility for that which we have now it's just uh, putting it all together so you might see an EV drifting record here not within yeah, too, too long. I would ask Johan what his opinion is of Porsche, but I think we know. Yeah, I think we know the answer to that. <laughs> what is what? Your opinion is of Porsche, but well, I think we know. Well, actually, I drive one. I love Porsches, <laughs> but I also love to I, beat I do their too. records. I have, I, have, I have a Porsche GT4. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that said, let's get your thoughts on the reveal of the new BMW. Are you guys going to be upgrading vehicles next year now that we've seen it Likely. for the first time at VIR? Likely. I've been given advice to get two or three of them. 
but at a couple hundred thousand dollars a pop, you know, that is not probably in the cards for that. What's the biggest draw, do you think, switching to the new car early on? The AC? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. We, we talked about that in, at length, actually. We are behind the curve this year because we just got the car and we just took it to track immediately. And it's taken us the third race weekend to figure it out. So obviously, when you get a car and you get, get it ahead of time, and you get a chance to you know, work out the bugs and figure out what it likes. And that's really the key. What is the car like? Does it like more camber? Does it like more tow? Does it like more cross? You know, what spring is, setup. Spring setup, shock. Wing, all that, you know? Yeah. And the car is, in my opinion, somewhere between this car that we have now, the M4 GT4, and the now M4 GT3. It's somewhere in the middle there. It's more of a race car. It appears to be more safe, which is even better. Even has a, a hatch in the roof to extract somebody in case of an emergency. I think that's important. Yeah. And there's also some front end geometry settings you can do with shims yeah. now, which makes it a lot more efficient. For our type of racing, Johan's substantially taller than me. So we have to pull the seat. The seat stays stationary in the GT4. The pedal box moves forward and, and back. On the new one, they have stops that you can put at different areas. So we put it full to the stop on the front for Johan and full to the back wherever I want my stop to be. So it's boom, boom. And now we have to write, we have to take white chalk and write, put lines in there and I got to kind of pull it back to that. And, you know, so this would be a lot easier. I smirked when I heard about that particular feature because I, I thought about it and I said, Go-karts have had that for as long as I, I can know. remember. Yes, the <laughs> the adjustable bo- yeah. pedal box, right? It's exactly. Like <laughs> so that has the same, but it's a little uh, where you can just use some stops with it. I think it's a good-looking car. I'm not a big fan <clears throat> of big grills on BMWs, but I think they did it. They're growing on me, by yeah. the way. Yeah. I thought they were incredibly I think it's the yeah. liveries that help. When you see yeah. them in just yeah. plain dress, yeah. you're just well, like... Well, ah. well, let me tell you. I just ordered a 2022 M4 competition x-drive last week so in black no no no, no. In, in dravet gray which is the coolest color in the world yeah but it's got the big grill it's a darker car which kind of mutes yeah. it a little bit but when i first saw that grill i thought it looked hideous somehow it's grown on me i think the gt3 probably has helped no it, it's it's i can't say completely attractive but it's really grown on me me too oh and this car this new race car is an automatic transmission Whereas the race car we have now is a dual clutch. So they're going backwards in some respects, but they say it shifts faster than the dual clutch does, which is hard to imagine. Well, this also shows you how far automatic transmissions have come, right? I mean, when they're shifting that quick and the durability and there's less, you know, uh, mechanical components in there. So it makes it extremely durable. The the 240 was also an automatic transmission they made into a paddle shift and remember how durable that is. This is a straight six, three liter with 550 horsepower. Yeah. And I believe they said for tuning wise, uh, and are making changes on the fly. It can all be done. You no know, connecting laptops or right. Any of that you can stuff. do it in the pitch, yeah, not while you're driving. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But you do it right there from inside the car. Yeah, it's, which is pretty. And traction, traction control too. So Todd, he told me about the new M4 uh, X Drive that you bought, and I'm super excited. I can't wait to drive it. But when he makes the phone call to me and says, "Hey, I just bought a new GT4 M4. We're gonna drive it next year," then I'm gonna be really excited. <laughs> <laughs> So on that note, any shout-outs, promotions, or anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover thus far? Number one, my wife. Without her, I wouldn't be here. Without her support, we wouldn't be here. I'm sorry she couldn't make it this weekend, but daggone it, she's a big part of this. And to all our supporters who follow us, my daughter, I haven't talked about her too much. She's out in San Diego. She's getting into the sport now at age 29, looking very much forward to that. My personal selfish goal is that I can be on the track with my son and my daughter at the same time. Unfortunately, I lost my oldest daughter 13 years ago, and she'll never be replaced. My daughter is a, she's got 20,000 followers on Instagram, because she's a bodybuilder. She was nationally ranked and a great soccer player. And I think because she's so coordinated, and she's an athlete, she'll fit really well into this racing. I'll tell you, it's true. You have to be an athlete, and you have to be coordinated to do this. You don't see uncoordinated people do this. 
we emphasize all the time that sport is a real thing in motorsports. Yes, it's not it just is. Driving around. I played college soccer. I know what sport is at the highest level. My daughter played for West Virginia University, top ten in the country. Athletics are athletics. This is a workout. And at the end of the half an hour run, when you're giving it 100%, you get out of that car exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah. Oh, cockpit, we saw, you know, it's 132 degrees. We sit with a helmet and a suit on. It's certainly so a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the air conditioner only works when we put the brakes on. Yeah. <laughs> and we try to use the brakes as little as possible, right? Yeah. Because what's that? Although you would slow, to you slow down. down. Yeah. For me, it's uh, kind of what I uh, want to just say what Todd said. You know, I have the family support, and obviously I'm here because of Todd and the partnership that we have established since 2008. And friendship. And for, yeah, absolutely. We have a great yeah. friendship. And uh, while you were talking, I realized your background is kind of like the same how you got involved. It was all self propelled, mm -hmm. right? We didn't have a parent that she took you to Le Mans, but you remember the cars that were parked in the street. I remember I could recognize all the cars that between five and, and we were six. driven by yeah. it. And throughout life for me and for Todd, it sounds like we have been driven by that. It was always a priority that we saw as, you know, when I went to college, I think I may have gone to two parties because I was always trying to find out where's the race, where can I go, mm -hmm. where can I meet people and stuff like that. So I'm very fortunate and I hope we will uh, do it some yeah, more. And either have a car gene or you don't yeah you guys obviously do yeah we do and most of our close friends do because of this wonderful sport we're, yeah. we're involved with owner todd brown began rooster hall racing as a way to enhance his hobby today rooster hall offers customer support transportation and car building from club level to pro level racing rooster hall has had multiple national championships in club racing and three successful pro seasons from 2017 through 2019 with driver johan schwartz bringing home the sro championships and to learn more about rooster hall racing be sure to log on to www.roosterhallracing.com or follow them on social at rooster hall racing on facebook and at rooster hall on instagram I cannot thank both of you enough for coming on the show, sharing your stories, getting people to know Rooster Hall Racing a little bit more intimately, a little bit more internally. We look forward to seeing what happens this year and next year if you guys get a new car. And best of luck throughout the weekend thank and throughout you. this season. You've got a new follower, a new fan in me. I'm all on board for Rooster thank Hall. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we're, Absolutely. We're, we're hopefully going to be on the podium after in about an hour. <laughs> <and> <laughs> an hour. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. The following episode is brought to you by SRO Motorsports America and their partners at AWS, CrowdStrike, Fanatec, Pirelli, and the Skip Barber Racing School. Be sure to follow all the racing action by visiting www.sro-motorsports.com or take a shortcut to gtamerica.us. And be sure to follow them on social at GT underscore America on Twitter and Instagram at SRO GT America on Facebook and catch live coverage of the races on their YouTube channel at GT World. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember... Without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.